All right. Award-winning TMG podcast in three, two. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Tony Barnhart. Uh, welcome again to the award-winning TMG podcast uh, for yet another week of college football season. A lot to talk about today because the big boys started playing in the SEC. A lot to cover there. But before we start, I want to do a couple of things. One, we want to give a shout out to our sponsor, APA, A-P-B-A, the unchallenged king of realistic, high-quality sports simulations products. It is baseball on steroids, among other games. Also, I want to thank David at uh, Revelation Studios in beautiful Chino, California. Uh, for now, uh, we could not do without you. So without further ado, folks, let's uh, let's call the roll. Out of batting first, out of the lovely situate mass, is Mr. Mark Blauschen. How are you today, Mr. Blauschen? I'm doing good, Tony. I'm glad to be here. and glad we got a weekend at the SEC. So All right. Repre- Indeed. Representing the Midwest as he is so well. Mr. Herb Gould out of the Chicago area. Mr. Gould, all is well? Yes. Excited that we're getting closer and closer to the Big Ten joining the fray. Well, it's nice that they could finally join the party. We'll talk about them, and we'll talk about the uh, the Pac-12, who decided they didn't want to go it alone. We'll talk about them in a little bit. And as we said earlier, the senior senator from uh, New Jersey via Rutgers, Mr. Tom Lucci. How are you, sir? Doing well, Tony. Uh, I was very pleased to have a, a wide menu of games to, to watch last week. Uh, wow, it really, really was. And let, let's start – Let's start with the lead headline. The SCC is back. Seven conference games. Ten-game conference schedule. Conference games only. Seven of them on Saturday. And I don't know about you guys. Mark, I'll start with you. It just felt different. Differently. It felt differently having the SEC back. Well, yeah, it did. It was, it was I, I guess, the official start of the football season, I, I think, is the best way you can describe it. You can go ahead. They played for like three weeks. I mean, having SEC games like that, and also also having the the, the drama that we had in a lot of those games, and and we had we had the, the bright lights were on, and it was it was back to what we thought it would be. Well, you know what? They had a controversial call in the or a couple of controversial calls in the Auburn uh, Kentucky game, and I remember speaking to Commissioner Slive last week uh, at length, and he said, you know. What's been cool is in the morning, I do my morning walk and have the coffee and somebody will just stop their car and roll down the window and say, thank you, commissioner, for everything you've done. He said, he said, that's been very gratifying. He said, I do know after Saturday when we get our first controversial officials call, no one will be saying thank you, commissioner, thank you anymore. I'm, I'm sure that didn't happen. Uh, guys, I got to ask you, we've all covered Mike Leach in our career. We all, well, I will simply speak for myself. I was skeptical about their ability to bring that offense, uh, uh, you know, to the SEC and have some success. But all they did Saturday at Baton Rouge against the defending national champions is throw for a SEC record 623 yards. Uh, Herb Gould, what was your impression? What what was your takeaway when you saw those numbers and you saw that Mississippi State went into Baton Rouge and won the game? Well, you know, Tony, it's interesting. I think sometimes we get distracted by all the pirate crazy stuff that Mike Leach does, and, and we kind of forget that the guy can just doggone coach. 
Yep. And to get that team ready in a pandemic season with all of the issues that, that he had to deal with, uh, it was, you know, it was a tremendous performance. Uh, and, you know, even though LSU was replacing a lot of people from the championship team, that does not detract at all from uh, what Mississippi State did. And, and all credit to Mike Leach and a great reminder that he is a terrific coach as well as a great entertainer. Well, it proved yet again that if you've got a proven quarterback and uh, KJ Costello is a proven quarterback, you got a much better chance in, in any league, any level. Uh, Luch, Mississippi State ran the ball for nine net yards on 15 attempts. Can you survive in the Southeastern Conference doing that? No, we know you can't. And I, I was a little, I was a tad low on the over/under on the pass attempts when we. When yeah, you only guessed fifty-four. Yeah, I had fifty-four. <laughs> they made sixty. Uh, no, you can't. Here's here's the thing about this, uh, the Mike Lee stuff is it's entertaining. You get results like this, but you also get some clunkers because you know uh, they can't run the ball, and generally his teams are suspect defensively, and that's generally not a good formula you know, for success, especially in, a, in the SEC West. However, having said that, the novelty of this may take a little time to wear off and for other uh, SEC teams to catch up. So I can see some immediate success there, um, you know, with Mike. Lee. The other thing is, too, again, as Herb said, not to detract from the victory, but LSU lost 14 guys to the NFL draft and didn't have their best defensive uh, uh, secondary player. No. Um, you know, you got to cut them a little slack. I mean, this is basically a whole new team starting over. This is not, I mean, we have to get out of our minds that LSU won the national championship last year. This is not that team. No, no. And, and they've got, they've got talented athletes. They always have. They, they just looked, they just looked like they didn't know what they wanted to do. It was like with all the, who are all these new people and what all are we supposed to be doing together? And it just, it's simply, they weren't now. Now, LSU's got Vanderbilt on Saturday. It's nothing that cleanses the soul quite like playing Vanderbilt. So I think they'll, uh, I think they'll, uh, I think they'll bounce back. Hey, what guys, I don't know if you had, you had a chance to see it. It was on at, uh, the game was seven o'clock local and Miami was on and, uh, other games on. I don't know if you saw much of Alabama, Missouri, but I'm telling you what. Alabama looked like they were in midseason form. I mean, they, they if they'd had any issues with the with the in the preseason, it, I was just uh, very very impressed uh, with Alabama. And the other thing, Florida beat Ole Miss, but you know what? Florida, Ole Miss got over 600 yards of total offense against Florida. So that was uh, that was a uh, uh, very uh, Blau, Did you get to see any of the Alabama Missouri game? Yeah, I watched bits and pieces of it. I mean, it was so warm Sunday. You know, I, I, I went to other games, but, but I, I'm not surprised. It's a Nick Saban coach team, and they're going to be ready to play when the whistle blows. And that, that doesn't surprise me, you know, uh, at all. I mean, they played at Missouri against a team that was, was down a lot of bodies because of the COVID stuff. So that got worked into it. But it was it was what you expect from Alabama. They were working like precise, and and and, and, and we we'll move on. I mean, that was that's that's what you get from Alabama. That's what you get from Nick Saban. Well, yeah, and you know, Tony, let me just say that the contrast between LSU and Alabama is so apparent. I mean, it gives you another appreciation for Alabama that Nick Saban just reloads year after year. Now, admittedly, not not replacing the number of bodies that, that Ed Orgeron was this year, but 
it's just a, a tribute to what they do in Tuscaloosa that you can just plug in people and, and not miss a beat. That offense was very solid, and he even got some quality time for his backups on, on Saturday night. Well, Alabama loses two two wide receivers taken in the first, I don't know, seven or eight picks of the draft. Uh, and all of a sudden you say, who's going to replace those guys? Well, Jalen Waddell just absolutely tore it up. He is going to have a monster year if he stays healthy for Alabama. Uh, guys, here, here's, here's a note when things aren't going your way. It's an obvious sign. South Carolina was playing at home Saturday night against Tennessee, and they're down four, and they're about to get the ball back with about a minute and a half left and three timeouts. And then all of a sudden, uh, Tennessee punts the ball, and the South Carolina defender did not get the signal to get away from the ball. Hits him on the back of the leg. Tennessee recovers. Ball game. Uh, I don't know. And, oh, by the way, uh, Will, our man Will Muschamp, he's got to go to the University of Florida on Saturday. Uh, I hate to say anybody's on the hot seat, but I'm afraid my man Muschamp is, is under the gun right now. Yeah, I would say this, Tony. I'm I'm not a big must-champ guy, but there were a lot of people second-guessing the decision to kick the field goal with about three and a half left. Yep. You know that that, that got them within range. Uh, but he had three timeouts, and it would have worked out had the punt not hit his own player. You know, yep. so I, I mean, I, I don't I don't find any real criticism for that. I don't find I don't even find any fault in that decision. I thought it was I understood what he was doing. And uh, it, like I say, it would have worked out had not, you know, unfortunate circumstances. But, um, you know, the other thing I, I would caution all of us, you know, or so we've been around football a long time this year, more than any other year. Let's not read too much into these opening games. Yes. Uh, I would just say because of the unique circumstances of this year, the starting to stop in the pandemic, uh, Kansas State being down 18 players and still being Oklahoma. Uh, let, let's just, I mean, it's going to take a couple of games more than most years to level things out. Now, having said that, I will say, stand here and say Florida State's terrible. Okay. After three games, I can make that announcement. I mean, that proclamation, Florida State's awful. They are for the rest of us. I mean, that's for the rest of these teams. You know, there's going to be some wild fluctuations early. I think more so than, than most years. No, I, I don't think there's any doubt. There's any the conventional rules do not apply. I told Blau the other polls. Just forget the polls, guys. Polls don't mean anything this year. Uh, it, other than setting 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 up a game, saying number ten's playing number eight. But man, oh man, is there anything more relevant? Uh, than the polls right now, guys. I want to take a little detour. I need I need some help from Mr. Lucci on something. And Mr. Lucci, I, I know that that I have no knowledge of how Las Vegas works when it comes to 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 sort of laying down a, a little uh, wager on a game or something like that. And how that you know I try to pick games against the spread and all that. But let me let me ask you this, and maybe you can educate me on this. Alabama, the over and under in that game with Missouri was 56, and they scored 57, okay? Georgia won by 27. The line was 26 and a half. TCU scores late, and if they kick an extra point, they cover, and if they and, and a lot of people did. Would you explain to me how these people in Vegas are so smart? Have you seen the hotels there, how glitzy they are? Austin uh, there's, a, there's a reason for that. 
You know, there's a reason that they can uh, they can comp a lot of people. But to me, the most amazing one was the I, I was watching the, a lot of this game, the, the Iowa State TCU game. Uh, TCU scores a 31 yard touchdown pass last play of the game to get within three, and the line's two and a half. And Gary Patterson says the you know there's no time left on the clock. The extra point won't affect the outcome of the game. Let's head to the locker room. Well, you know what? If I'm a TCU guy and I bet that game, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm camping out uh, outside of Gary Patterson's house and saying, I want my money, but I want a refund. You know, because, uh, I, listen, I, I guess I understand the risk of injury, but the easiest play in football is that extra point. And that swung, well, who knows how many, I would say hundreds of thousands of dollars. Can't you see the – Luch, can't you see guys? Can't you see the TCU folks watching in a sports bar or in a group somewhere, screaming, screaming at the TV? Yeah, well, we, you know, when I work at the Mammoth Park Racetrack, you can hear we have a sports book in there, we have a Las Vegas style sports book. So on Saturdays and Sundays, it's packed with people, and you can hear it. So you know when something's going on, and you know, I, I, I didn't specifically hear that roar either way but i'm sure it resonated if you were anywhere near you know that sports book well you know some someday on my bucket list i I have got to go to vegas and watch during a college football saturday i bet that is fascinating it's a it's a lot of fun then it's a lot of fun on football sundays and the NCAA tournament is just crazy. I've been there for all of them. So, yes, it, it, you know, you get that first two rounds of the NCAA tournament, you know, with all those games on the screen. Yeah, it, you know, it's just uh, those sports books are packed, and it's uh, it's wild. It really is wild. Mm, 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 mm. Uh, another topic, guys, I, I, wrote myself, I wrote myself a note here. I mean, with Mike Leach – with Lane Kiffin, again, who gave the Gators a pretty decent run, 600 total yards, and primetime Deion Sanders at Jackson State. I mean, doesn't everybody have to go to the state of Mississippi at some point this year? Start with you, Mark. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, it's become when primetime is not the main act, I mean, that's, that's a pretty pretty strong yeah, pretty, pretty strong act, as you know. We, we both know that leads him. And Kiffin, we're, we're going to create a little bit of stir in, in, in the SEC. Uh, and we we saw we started out on Saturday, which week week one. We're going to go week after week of that. And, and once once you know uh, you know, and, and who knows what's going to come out of Primetime's mouth and what's going to come out of, out of Jackson State. But I think it'll be fun. It'll be a fun side a fun sideshow the entire season. Well, I'm just thinking all all year long. Well, after the game Saturday, Leach, Leach was being interviewed on the field, and he was being asked, you know, how it felt to to come into Baton Rouge in the win because he was he was he had been there before with uh, with Hal Mummy, and he said, you know, there are a lot of ghosts in this place, but he was asked about how it felt. He said, well, I tell you, it's better than average. They said, no, <laughs> not, not bad, not bad at all. Well, it's it's going to be fun. We're going to keep an eye on it. Uh, Herb Gould. I want to ask you a question. I mean, you've seen in your career, you've seen teams roll over and quit for various reasons. What else are we to, how else are we to explain what is going on at Florida State? Yeah, that's a good one, Tony. I, you know, I, I don't, I think they've just, they've just lost interest and, uh, you know, it, 
they're not good and they're not cohesive. I don't know what the answer is other than patience. You know, still, when you're in Tallahassee with that tradition and, and the recruiting potential of that state, you just you need to get your act together. Uh, but, yeah, it looks pretty bad. And, you know, I, I it, you know, Luch said it best a while ago. Uh, you know, that's just a really certifiably bad team. And it's 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 disappointing, I'm sure, for all uh, Seminole Nation. And of course, Mike. Tony? Yeah, go ahead. It, it was a great thing I saw it on the ACC network on, on, on Doran Packard. It was a great stat they came up with. Since 2017, Florida State against against Power Five conference teams is 17, 17 and 21, I think. Mm. Think about that. I, guess, I think overall, the the last year, they, they, went, they, went, they went 10 years without losing 21 games. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know. You know I, I think one, one thing that underscores, <laughs> especially at that school, if you do have some talent, and I still believe they do. Uh, the importance of quarterback play. Yep. I mean, the, the, the one, uh, you hate to put it on one guy, but the one one constant factor in the four years they've been 18 and 22 has been James Blackman, the quarterback. And if you watch him against Miami, uh, to me, he just stands there and waits to be sacked. Right. And, and the decision making is very questionable. And it's hard for me that, to believe that Florida State cannot find a better quarterback and hasn't over four years since they're willing to go to 27 year olds if they need to. We've seen that in the past. You know, um, I just find it, like you say, mind-boggling to have been able to come up with a better quarterback over the past four years. And I hate to put it on one guy. But to me, the one thing that stands out is that erratic quarterback play that hasn't changed for four years. Right. Right. And no, there's no question that Mike Norvell had better quarterbacks when he was at Memphis. I don't think there's any doubt about that because they've, they've always had a quarterback. But you know, the thing that, that would be, is so discouraging for the Florida State people is that the players look – Completely, maybe it's just me. Tell me if I'm wrong, but the, the players look completely disinterested in what's going on. Uh, yeah, and you know what? It, it couldn't have helped that that Norvell was under uh, quarantine, you know, to not be able to be, you know, hand, more hands on. And and I, you know, the, at the same time, they've they've made some bad hires there in recent years, and you know, you just have to give Mike Norvell time to to put the pieces back together because it is a mess. Well, we will, we will see on that, see if it is bad or worse, but one of the issues you have to admit in that Florida state game was the fact that Mark Blauschen's alma mater, the university of Miami is playing pretty good ball right now. Went over UAB. I'm telling you, UAB is a pretty good team. All right. Went over Louisville. Louisville's played people tough. Uh, that's 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 a pretty good team, and obviously a domination of Florida State. Miami's off this week, October ten at Clemson. So, Mark Blauson, is your alma mater the real deal? We'll find out. That, I mean, that's good. Maybe we got warmbacks right here, and I'll give I'll give them their due. They look real to me. They do everything right. I mean, they got the right attitude. It looks like the Miami hold in a lot of ways. And now they got to play Clemson, you know, and and they got to deal with that. And if, they, if they if they're competitive in that game, or they win that game, which I don't I don't think it's out of the question that they can win that game. I mean, I, nothing was sunny anymore this year. So if that that happens, well then they're off to the races. So what's, what's, I mean, we got we got they have a week to prepare. Uh, that would be pretty good. Well, the other thing about that game, Tony, I would I would say this. Um, that's a that's a critical game for Clemson. I mean, we always just oh. Clemson because basically Clemson has two games on their schedule uh, now: Miami and Notre Dame. 
know, mm-hmm. so, you know, if they're to get into the, the couple of players in the back door with the loss, I think they have to beat Miami and Notre Dame. You know, if they say they get upset by, I don't know, we'll just throw one out there, Pitt. You know, uh, right. that's their one loss. And they're in the championship game still, and they win that championship game. Um, they may have a chance. You can make the argument. But they'd have to beat Miami and Notre Dame because the rest of your schedule isn't that strong. Well, that's exactly right. And I'll tell you this. Sitting here looking at Miami's schedule, you're going to put a lot into that Clemson game. The following week on October 17th, Miami hosts Pitt. Uh, I talked to our buddy Wes Durham, who who had that call, Pitt in Louisville over the weekend. He tells me the Pitt defense is really, really good. And the offense is not bad. The quarterback is, 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 is a pretty decent player. So I'm just saying – Dangerous game for Miami coming off that Clemson game, which they'll invest a lot. It's coming home to play Pittsburgh, so keep an eye on that. Uh, our next topic can be very easily summarized. I'm going to go around the table. Mark Blauschen, the Big 12 Conference, your thoughts? Well, I mean, are, are any of us surprised? I don't think any of us is surprised that once again they've stumbled out of the gate. And now we're down to the possibility that, that Oklahoma State could be the best team in the Big 12, which, which Mr. Lucci thinks is, is possible. And that is very possible. Texas certainly proved itself that it could come back. But, but, but oh my God, I mean, what are they doing playing defense in that, in that conference? I mean, can they, can they possibly – it looks to me like everyone's going to have at least one loss, maybe two losses in that conference. If that's the case, they're not going to get in the playoffs. Well, here's the thing. I, I, during that game, I got a call from one of my buddies, an Oklahoma guy. I grew up in Oklahoma. He just said he just threw up his hands. And said, We're never going to learn how to play defense, are we? I said, I said, Doug, nobody in that conference is playing defense. Texas got away with their lives with an incredible comeback against Texas Tech. So here's here's the show. First of all, Luke, let me ask you. Why can't the Big 12 play defense? It's not that hard. It's it's not. And, and when you're talking, you're not talking about uh, 85 Bears defense. You know, you're just talking about enough to keep yourself competitive. And you know, uh, you know, sort of like uh, you know, some of these schools still where they, you know, you can give up 24 points, but still, that's still good defense in this stage. I will say this, and, and Mark's right. I, to me, what's emerged early is that Oklahoma State is the anti-Mississippi State of the Big 12. And I say that because they play good defense in both games. You know, their opener and then uh, against West Virginia. Very good defense. Like, they kind of shut down defense. They have an average quarterback, and they obviously have a great running back. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't been great this year, but he's a great, he's a proven great running back. That's the old formula for success. You know, right. it's a good running game, a quarterback who's a manager, a very good defense. Now, yeah, but, is that going to work in the Big 12 this year? I don't know. I mean, I, yeah. you know, it's a pass-happy league. I don't know. I, I would assume at some point Oklahoma State's going to have to score more points. But with that defense, it gives them a chance. I don't see anybody else in the league. And I watched enough of the TCU game. I think TCU will be okay defensively. But I don't see anybody else playing any defense in that league. I, I cannot get excited about Oklahoma State after what they did against Tulsa. You know, if... if, if if that's you know if that's the standard there, I just think that it is ultimately a very very down year in the Big 12, and they better just hope that Texas can walk the tightrope, because if, if Oklahoma beats Texas or, or Texas stumbles somewhere else, 
they really aren't going to have a playoff candidate. I mean, maybe Oklahoma State, but I don't, I don't, I don't see them as one of the top four in the nation by any standard. Well, and when you put it put it put it into this context, okay, what happened to the Big Twelve week one? They go zero and three against the Sun Belt. All right, so now you got a big a big check mark there. Now you do this where Texas and Oklahoma both should have lost on Saturday and can't play defense. Here's the overreaching question. If the Big 12 champion has one loss, does it not open the door, at least at least a discussion for a 12-0 UCF, a 12-0 Cincinnati? Do they at least get in the discussion if that happens? They absolutely oh, do. So. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, discussion, yes, Tony. Uh, realistic, again, I'm going to stick to what I said. I still think two SECs, an ACC, and, and a Big Ten, and, and you, now you're going to throw into the mix, uh, you know, a Pac-12 team. Uh, so that pushes them back a little bit more, even if the Big 12's out of it. You know, you have to say, but if Texas runs the table. You know, uh, that's still the yeah. if I think on the outside looking in. No, if, if Texas goes undefeated, Texas gets in. Uh, that's that that is a given. But but I I do want to ask the panel about this, and it's the Pac-12. The Pac-12 at seven and zero. How far can seven and zero take you in this discussion? Because if 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 my choices are seven and zero Pac-12, probably Oregon. Seven and zero Pac-12, twelve and zero UCF or one lost SEC runner-up, how in the hell, I, I can't take the pack. I can't take a 7-0 Oregon in good time. Just, Tim, Blau, am I wrong? Tell me if I'm wrong. No, I don't, th- I don't, I don't think you are. And I think the Pac-12 was, was counting on non-conference games to give them some credibility. I mean, I mean, they had games scheduled against a lot of Big Ten teams and SEC teams. And they were hoping to, 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 to gain uh, some boost with their playoff committee in that one. We're playing only seven games. Not even playing a full Pac-12 schedule. Uh, I don't know who Oregon doesn't play in, in the league, but suppose they don't play Washington. Well, I mean, I mean, or USC. I don't. I don't know uh, what what the schedule is exactly like. That's going to be a factor. I agree. Seven zero is not going to cut it. Okay. You know, Let me weigh in one with one. Yeah. The other part, though, I, you know, I think it's premature to to have that conversation <laughs> because seven and zero. Are they going to have an eighth game in a in a, a in a championship game. Uh, and also, you know, I mean, what about, what about if the big 10, which is trying to walk a, a 10 game tightrope, if, if Ohio state has two cancellations and they play eight games, are you yep. going to knock them out? I, I, you know, I don't know how the committee is going to deal with this. I don't think anybody really knows how that's all going to come about because you don't know how many games actually are going to be played. So I'm not really sure how we can answer that at this point. Well, you, the the answer is you can't answer it at this point, and it's going to be a hell of a discussion. But here, here, here's here's something to ponder on. I think I talked to Blau about this. Is ultimately the selection committee and the people who run the college football playoff are going to have to make a decision that goes one of two ways when it comes to requirements to be eligible for the playoff. Either they're going to have to set a number that says, hey, if you don't play more than five games or if you don't play more than six games, they will pick a number. All right? Or you could say, as one person told me, hey, the com- that's why the selection committee is there. No no minimum requirements. Let the selection committee uh, sort it all out. One, They will have to decide 
one of two things. Mark Blaustein, I just made you the czar of the college football playoff. Which way would you go? Would you set a hard and fast number? You got to play a minimum number of games, or you let the committee sort it out? Uh, I, what you spoke, so I, I contacted Bill Hancock about that very, very subject, and he, and he got back to me in a, in a very Hancock type of way, saying it to be determined. But my impression was that the four best teams are going to are, are going to make the playoffs. Right. Uh, if one can only play seven games or six games, I heard with something up Ohio State. Ohio. Lucci, if Ohio State is five and zero and six and zero or six and zero, don't they don't play a full schedule, but they're but they're undefeated. Are they a lock to get into the playoffs? No, I don't think so. I mean, in my in my mind, this is the personal thing. I would think in this year you'd have to play at least eight games somehow, some way. You know, and and six six and zero, it just doesn't seem like a real season. You know, it's a, it's it's a half a season. So I don't know if you can get in there. Are a lot of teams that have done well in a half the season in the first half of the season and haven't done well in the second half of the season. Plus, it'll also, Tony, the other thing is it's going to determine who they play. I mean, if they can get to seven and they're playing uh, Michigan and Wisconsin and Iowa, you know, and Penn State, and those are the quality wins versus, you know, uh, not to belabor the point, but we were talking about UCF. You know, if they play t- 10, 11, or 12, but they're only playing Memphis and Cincinnati as their only quality opponents, how do you measure that? It's like we said before. I don't know if there's an answer right now. Right. Well, that that is going to be – we're going to keep our eye on, on the college football playoff committee and what they end up doing because that, that will be – how to handle that is going to be a very, very big decision. Guys, I want, I want to do this to put a sort of bow on our discussion today, and it's this. On August 9th, a Sunday night, I'm getting phone calls from people who are swearing to me that on Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday, the Big Ten is going to shut it down and everybody's going to follow them and there will be no college football in 2020. That was Sunday night. The rumors persisted on the Monday. On Tuesday, the, the Big Ten pulled out, as did the Pac-12 and as did some of the other conferences. We we didn't know what was going to happen. The SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 held firm. But as we sit here today, all 10 FBS conferences are scheduled to play this fall. I'll start with you, Martin Blausen. When the history books are written about this period of time in the history of this game, what, what are they going to say? What What happened? Ultimately, and why did all of those? Four, why did those four conferences all come back? I, I think because of money, money, money. I, I think uh, I think that's it. They they sort of we have to make money somehow. And 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 I don't think I don't think the SEC was ever not going to play. And I think that was just the foundation block. As long as the SEC was solid, I think there was going to be college football. And I, and I think eventually everyone came around to the SEC's way. Because it's a money-oriented league, and 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 for people like the president of Oregon to say money was not a factor, please just stop it. I mean, money is always a factor. 
always follow the money. Herb Gould, you're in the middle of Big Ten country. Ultimately, ultimately, why did the Big Ten come back? Because I've never seen a conference commissioner more adamant about we're not going to revisit this decision. Well, they did, and here they are. And on October 23rd, they're going to play. What, what, is, they what, what, what does history say about this, Herb? Well, I think, first of all, you had a perfect storm. You had a new commissioner who really didn't have a big college background. He wasn't in a position to steer the presidents and chancellors the way Jim Delaney was. I think also we were in, you know, we were in uncharted territory versus, you know, regarding this virus. We still don't know if it was a good decision for these people to play football. I mean, we're, I, I was watching, you know, they're having their cocktail parties at, at Ole Miss, and, and you got fans all over those stands in Texas uh, at the Texas Tech game. I don't know if those are good ideas. In fact, I have serious questions about that. So I think what happened with the Big Ten was it was unknown world, and gradually they became, <clears throat> excuse me, more comfortable with the idea of this rapid testing. We all became more familiar. I don't know about you guys, but in March – I was hearing advice from people that I should wear gloves and a mask when I take my mail out of the mailbox. Oh, yeah. and, 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 you know, in, in March, we were doing things like that. I don't think anybody is operating with that level of fear today. So I think that that was the evolution of it from August to now. But that said, Blau is absolutely right. The, the, the economic consequences are just unfathomable for not playing at all. And there was a lot of pressure. I think they underestimated how how much of a pushback there would be from players and, and family members and politicians. So there were a lot of forces at work. But that said, I think they were well-intentioned in not playing. And then I think they were very practical, practical in changing that view. Uh, Tom Lucci, was it was it all about the money, or was it something else? Going yeah. on? Well, I think I think both Mark and, and Herb explained it as eloquently as it can be explained. I, I agree with them a hundred percent. And you, you know, part of this too is it's money driven. I don't think there's any question, Tony. But part of this too is I think for better or for worse, we've gotten a little um, Irish weary, a little numb to it. So we're doing things that maybe we should be doing that we were doing in March that we're not doing now as October approaches. I don't know if that's good, but the, the best thing about it is the SEC brought some normalcy back, at least a small sense of it. And when history looks back at this, you're going to look back at the same way they did the NHL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball, college football. We all fell victim to this uh, coronavirus, and it's all good to support. Well, we will see what the testing is like this week. We will all keep our eye on that. Guys, that's going to do it. Uh, always a wonderful visit with you guys on the TMG podcast. We'll be back next week. And again, we want to thank APA, our, uh, the unchallenged king of realistic, high-quality sports simulation and their product. And again, thank David at Revelation Studios in beautiful Chino, California. That's it for now, folks. Please join us next week on the TMG podcast. And until then... Carry on.